And great to be with all of you this morning. Let me just find the things that I need. Uh, yeah, so Travis is gone this morning, not out of town or on vacation or anything, but he's actually visiting uh, some of the other Bethany locations around the city. And that's a cool thing about being one church that's in different locations is he has the opportunity to do like some market research, like, okay, what are they doing? What could we maybe do here? And I have the opportunity to come share with you guys. So thank you so much for having me. This is actually my first time here to Bethany Community Church on the east side. So um, if I do something way different than Travis, don't tell him, you know? Um, but really, it is, it is great to be with all of you today. And like Michelle said, I'm the director of youth ministry at Bethany Green Lake. I've been there actually just about six months, but came to Bethany first as a college student when I was at SPU about seven, yeah, SPU, anyone out there? Uh, about seven years ago, and Bethany has been home since then uh, and really has played a big part in shaping my own faith. Um, so I'm just grateful to continue to be part of this church community and that all of you are here gathered uh, this morning. I want to actually start by sharing a quick story I was thinking about the other day. It's not a story from my own life, but it's a story of a man who's uh, praying He's talking to God, and he says, God, is it true that for you, a thousand years is just a minute? And God says, yeah, that's, that's true. And he says, God, is it true that for you, a million dollars is like just a penny? And God says, yeah, that's true. He says, God, can you give me a penny? <laughs> and God says, absolutely. It'll only take a minute. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I'm only going to speak for about a minute this morning, um, but no, I really should look at the time. Uh, but I, I tell you that story because it has this sense to it that, that God is a lot bigger than we realize. You know, obviously that's just a, a silly joke, but uh, we sang a lot of songs this morning about how great God is. And I think sometimes we can show up and sing those songs and forget that God really is so much greater than our comprehension, than our understanding. So I want you to have that idea in mind as we dive in this morning. Um, I agreed that I would come and preach here before I knew what the passage was. And then I said, oh, Travis, what's the scripture passage? And we're in this series going through the book of Romans, right? About the way forward, how is the gospel a uniting force that we can move forward in our lives with, and Travis said, oh, it's Romans 9, 10, and 11. What? Three, three chapters every other week was just one chapter, and I get three chapters, and he's just driving around town, probably just watching the Seahawks game on his phone this morning. Uh, and Romans 9 through 11 is actually one of the most kind of debated sections of Scripture uh, in the Bible. And the reason for that is there's a lot of questions surrounding it, around words like predestination and election. And so a lot of the questions that people have about this passage have to do with kind of who's in, who's out, who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, what about me, how do I know what's going to happen to the person next to me? And I want to say this morning, and if you hear one thing, hear this, that the Bible ultimately is not about us. Right? When we read the Bible, if we open it, and if we open the book of Romans, and if we open these three chapters in Romans, 
as a book about us. And we say, okay, I'm going to figure out uh, everything I want to know about me, and I'm going to figure out everything about my neighbor without having to get to know them. It's actually not going to quite make sense. Do, do we matter to God? Do we matter in the Bible? Absolutely. But the Bible is first about God, about who God is, about what God has done, what God is doing, what God has promised to continue to do. And we figure out who we are in light of that. So I titled the sermon this morning, Responding to God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But, but get this sense, it's, it's like in a dance, right? God leads and we follow. And if two people are dancing together and they both try to lead, it won't work. Uh, it'll, it'll be disastrous. And so when we try to lead God, it, it doesn't actually work. So the, the fundamental rhythm of faith is God has acted. And so the question this morning is what will we do about it? Um, Mary Oliver, who is a poet that I love, has this quote, and she says this. She says, that is just the point. How the world, moist and beautiful, calls to each of us to make a new and serious response. That's the big question. The one the world throws at you every morning. Here you are, alive. Would you like to make a comment? Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity for all of us to consider your word this morning. I ask that you would teach each one of us gathered here something new about who you are and who we are, uh, not apart from you, God, but in light of who you are. Uh, I thank you for this community gathered here and for the incredible things you are doing in their midst. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. So if you uh, got a bulletin, uh, hopefully you got one of those. There's an outline in there. Do you guys have pens? Is that, if you don't have pens, uh, someone will get you one. I don't know who that is, but maybe there's pens somewhere around here. Because uh, there's, so I grew up in a fill-in-the-blank church, so I put blanks in your outline. So even if you're like, I'm not a note taker, to even have the outline make any sense, you have to write something down. There's some participation required. But we're going to look at two fundamental truths this morning about who God is and how God has revealed himself to us, and then what is our response to those things. Two truths, uh, two responses. We won't get into every detail of every question in this passage, and if you're flipping through your Bible, you might be like, wow, there's some really kind of crazy stuff, and Brian's not even talking about it. I tried to put together a sermon that like addressed everything in these chapters, and we would be here all week. It was not going to work. Um, so if you have questions, you can ask Travis. Um, <laughs> but I would really encourage you, if you have a Bible or a phone, uh, to get that out. We're going to spend some time in the scripture this morning. Uh, and also, if you get your phone out, then it means you can check the score of the Seahawks game, and I won't know. Um, and there's some Bibles back there if you want a, a physical paper one. But we're going to start with this first uh, point that I titled God's Great Mercy. In other words, for mercy, you might say grace or compassion or a disposition towards forgiveness. God's Great Mercy. 
And so the section we want to focus on in Scripture here is chapter 9, starting in verse 14. And Paul says this to the Romans. He says, What then are we to say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. I love that verse. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on God who shows mercy. So that's the first truth about God. God is great in mercy. Now that bit I just read where God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I have compassion. Paul is actually quoting uh, from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus. And this section of scripture, Romans 9, 10, and 11, in all of the New Testament is one of the most jam-packed sections of quotes and echoes and allusions to the Old Testament. Right, so Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, but this is not the beginning of the story. If you look at the, like we're actually almost at the end here, all of this stuff already came before in Scripture. The Old Testament is a lot bigger than the New. And so when Paul is quoting here the Old Testament that says that God is great in mercy, he's actually bringing a bigger story uh, to mind. There was a professor I once heard speak, an Australian guy, And he made the point this way. He said he was in uh, Bible class and his own professor, when he was in seminary, was talking about this point, that when you hear a quote, you need to know the context of the quote to know what it means. And the professor goes, you know, it's like four score and seven years ago. And the Australian guy is like, four four score, 20, 87 years, what? What, 87 years, what? And so after class, he goes to someone else and he says, what's the whole thing about 87 years? And the guy says, the professor didn't say anything about 87 years. And he goes, no, he said, when we read the Bible and there's a quote in it from the Old Testament, it has something to do with 87 years. And he goes, oh, you mean four score and seven years ago? And he goes, yeah, that's just an old way of saying, and he says, no, 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 no. That's from Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, right? And when you hear those words, it doesn't actually mean a certain amount of time it brings to mind this whole event, this whole address, uh, this whole time in our history and a particular president. So when Paul quotes here, he's actually bringing to mind a bigger story. So if you have a Bible, flip to the book of Exodus. Uh, We're going to be looking at around chapter 33, 32, 33. And this is the story of the golden calf, if you've heard that story before. So God's people Israel have been set free from slavery in Egypt, uh, an incredible act of mercy on its own of God, set free from slavery, are in uh, the desert. Moses has gone up to the top of Mount Sinai to hear from God. That's where he receives the Ten Commandments. And so things seem pretty good, right? Well, we were in slavery. God freed us. He's like revealing to us the law, uh, a good way to live, helpful guidance for us. And what do the people do when Moses has gone on the mountain? I'll pick it up wherever my notes tell me to. Uh, I think it's at the beginning of chapter 32. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, 
Come make gods for us who shall go before us. As for Moses, this man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron said to them, take off your gold rings that are on your ears and of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off all their gold jewelry from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold, formed it into a mold, cast it into an image of a calf, and he said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Uh, and then it keeps going, and they have a celebration with the golden calf. Uh, obviously, like, not what they were supposed to be doing, right? They said, well, Moses left. He's been gone a bit. Let's make a new god for ourselves. And then it's actually kind of funny... Um, Later in verse 24, when Moses has come down and he sees this going on and he says, Aaron, what's happening? Aaron says, whoever had gold took it off and gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. So he actually lies about it, right? They make this idol and then he says, yeah, I don't, we threw the gold in the fire and then it just came out like, I don't know how it happened. It was all kind of a blur. Uh, And so the people have turned from God. And God's response when Moses goes to plead before God to say, have mercy on these people, God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I have compassion. So the story is a story of disobedience and God showing that when people turn away from God, that is exactly the time that he shows his mercy. And so when Paul quotes this in chapter 9 of Romans, it's this whole story that he's bringing to mind. And it's actually the whole story of Scripture. All the way through, we see this is what's happening, right? God creates humanity in the beginning to be in relationship with him. That's, that's the whole point, right? We were singing holy, holy, holy about the Trinity. God is relationship in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, And God has graciously created us to join in that. And the tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve, both of them, were tempted and end up saying, you know what, we think we can do this on our own. The knowledge of good and evil, we don't need God to know that. We can figure this out on our own. And this continues to happen. Uh, The Tower of Babel, we think we can build to heaven on our own. We don't need God. Uh, Abraham is called to be the father of this great nation, and Abraham does all kinds of lousy stuff. Uh, The people of Israel at one point say, you know what, we're looking around at these other countries. They've got kings. We would love to have our own king. All the way through, God is gracious to the people, uh, and they turn from him, and they keep forgetting, and they say, well, you know, and all the way through, even into the prophets at the end of the Old Testament in Hosea, God says, return to me. He says, I'm not going to give up on chasing you down. And they keep turning from him. They they don't get it. That golden calf story is one example that Paul brings to mind. But that's the pattern of the whole Old Testament, you guys. And so Israel has failed to do what God has called them to do. I don't know if you know what, what was Israel supposed to do in the first place. God said, you are blessed to be a blessing, a light to the nations. He didn't say, you're my chosen people, just to be my chosen people so everyone else can have a horrible time. He said, no, I'm using you to bless the whole world. And they didn't do very well at it. So Jesus comes, not as plan B, 
but as the fulfillment of plan A. Jesus is Jewish. Uh, in case you don't know that, Jesus was Jewish. Uh, and so Jesus fulfills the purpose of Israel to bring people back into relationship with God, even when we have run far away from him. Uh, but, but Paul in the Bible is actually pretty sad in this section, right? He's recounting this truth. We've turned from God, and in Christ, God has acted to bring us back to him. But Paul's own people, the Jews, many of them haven't turned to Jesus. And so Paul is saying, what, what, what's going on? Like all these Gentiles, all these non-Jewish people, they're following Jesus. And God's chosen people, the Jews, a bunch of them aren't following Jesus. What is God actually merciful? Uh, or are the Jews lost beyond saving? And Paul says, no. By no means, God will not give up on them. And throughout this section, we see that God will even use the fact that many Gentiles have become Christians to make the Jews jealous so they'll come to realize that God is in Christ, calling people to follow him. When I lived uh, in North Carolina, I spent a couple years out at Duke Divinity School. I had the opportunity to take a class that met uh, in the federal men's prison. And one of the members of the class, uh, one of the incarcerated men, stood up at one point, and uh, he said, I never thought I'd have the opportunity to talk to a bunch of preachers in training. But he said, I need to tell you the story of my life. And he read to us from the Bible. And I thought, I don't think this is, you're reading the story of the Bible, not your own life. Uh, And he read to us the story of Paul's conversion, that Paul was actually murdering Christians Paul was there literally holding the coats of the people that were stoning Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and Paul encounters Jesus, and his life is turned around, and he realizes that God's mercy has been chasing him down. And this guy then tells the story of his own life, that he had been labeled uh, by the courts, and this is the word they used, was irredeemable, and was sentenced to prison for life. So he stands up, reads Paul's story, tells us part of his own story, and he says, no one is irredeemable. And he sits down. And I was supposed to like present next. uh, And yeah, I was kind of intimidated by that. But that is what God is showing us in this story. No matter how far Israel or we have turned from God, God's mercy continues to chase us down. So the question uh, then is what is the response to that? So this is where you need to get out your pen if you aren't going to write anything else down because there's a big fat blank on your outline that you want to fill in. Our response to God's mercy is faith. Write down the word faith, but then I actually want you to put faith slash belief slash trust. Uh, So in Scripture... These three things are actually all the same word. Uh, The word in Greek in the New Testament that's used for faith or belief or trust is all the same thing. We don't have a very good verb in English for faithing, so we'll say faith and believing, but it's all the same thing. And I think this is helpful, right? So so tomorrow is my dad's birthday, I think. Is your birthday tomorrow? Yeah. Uh, And my parents are here. Uh, And imagine if I gave him a birthday card that said, happy birthday, dad. I believe that you exist. Love, Brian. 
like there's a, it seems kind of impersonal, right? But sometimes it seems like that's what we, how we interact with God. That's our, God is merciful, I believe you exist, you know? Uh, but the word itself that scripture uses is a lot deeper than that. To trust someone, to not just believe that someone exists, but to believe in them, to know them, to love them. That's the kind of response that we're called to. And so the scripture passage that was read this morning uh, talked about the fact that Israel hasn't kind of gotten this message. A lot of them seem to have missed it, and the Gentiles seem to have gotten it. And it says that Israel has stumbled over the stumbling stone. Jesus is called the stumbling stone. Uh, but then at the end of that, this is, we're back in the book of Romans, chapter 10, looking at verse 4. And this verse, if you're like ever an underliner in the Bible, this is an underlined verse. Uh, this is a really complicated section of scripture. Just underline this one and read it. Uh, no, read the whole thing. Uh, Paul says, for Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So like I just said, that word believes You could also say, so there may be righteousness for everyone who trusts, or righteousness for everyone who has faith. It's a very personal kind of thing, right? God has revealed himself in the history of Israel and in scripture and in Jesus Christ, and our response is to trust him personally. Uh, But sometimes I think that we get tripped up on what's happening, it seems easier for us just ha- to have things in order, right? When something's personal, it feels more uh, complicated. So last Wednesday, I went to a coffee shop with the goal of writing this sermon, and I thought, I've got all my time scheduled out. I'm going to write the sermon, and it's going to be great, and then I'm going to be done, and go celebrate Thanksgiving, and that's my plan. I've got it all under control. And then this guy walks up to me in the coffee shop, and he says, hey, what are you up to? I said, oh, I'm writing a sermon. Turn back to my computer. And he goes, oh, uh, so do you work at a church? And I said, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm speaking at one of our other locations this Sunday. And he says, would you tell me about the Bible? And in my mind, I think, I don't have time for this. I got to go write the sermon so I can get my life in order. And I need to go tell those people in Kirkland about the Bible. And I don't have time for this person. Just, you know, why? who in Seattle walks up and talks to a stranger like that? Like, we don't do that. Uh, and so we don't expect it to happen. Uh, and I'm, so I'm frustrated, and I am talking to him, but like with my computer still open, kind of in the sense like any minute, I'm going to turn back and do the thing that I'm trying to do. And eventually, after like half an hour, I close the screen on my computer and give in. Like this is a person that God has put in front of me. I shouldn't stumble over that because I thought that I had my life and my faith all planned out and in order. So that's why in your outline, I really wanted you to write the word trust, not just the word belief, not just the word faith, because we can take those and make them like really churchy, religious words and forget that we're called to trust in Jesus, who is a person who sometimes will show up in our lives in ways that we didn't plan, ways that we didn't expect. And this is what happened to Israel right? God came to earth in the person of Jesus, uh, and they said, this isn't right. This isn't what we had planned. We know who's in and who's out, 
and he's hanging out with all of the out people, and we're the in people. Uh, it, it didn't fit their picture. Israel had been given a, a map in the scriptures, and they had become so focused on the map that they forgot the map was leading them to something. Not actually something, but some one. So that's the question in response today is do you want to be learning to trust God in a personal way? Not just in an ordered way, certainly not in a predictable way. If you want your life to be predictable, don't be a Christian. Uh, Jesus will do a lot more than send a random guy to talk to you for three hours in a coffee shop, but he'll do that too. Um, I've learned that. Um, Yeah, trust, belief, faith. Uh, And the word that's there in 10.4, Romans 10, verse 4, it says Christ is the end of the law. It doesn't mean that like when Jesus came, the law blew up and was obliterated. Uh, Actually, I'm not going to make you cross out and write new words in your Bible, but the word for end there more means like goal. Like Christ is the goal of the law. The whole reason in the first place that Israel was called, that the Old Testament law was given, was for people to be drawn back into relationship with God, what they were created for. And so Jesus came to fulfill that whole purpose in the first place. So not the end of the law. You know, Jesus himself said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to what? But to fulfill it. Yeah, some people here have read the Bible before. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And scripture says no one who trusts in him, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. So this is a uniting invitation. God has invited all people, not only Jews, not only Gentiles, not only the people who have it together, perhaps especially the people that don't have it together. This is why the Jews stumbled so much over Jesus, as he was doing all of these things that seemed kind of wild and crazy, and with these people that they didn't think quite fit in to their ordered systems. And so what does this really look like? Like, like how do we enact this trust in God? I'll give you just two uh, simple things. One is get to know him. It's really hard to trust someone that you don't spend time with. Uh, Showing up to church, spending time in the community of God's people is an incredible way to get to know God. Spending time in scripture. Um, The list could go on and on and on. If you've been around Bethany for a bit, uh, we did a series talking about a rule of life. What are habits in your life that connect you with who God is? So that's one thing uh, about trusting in God. But the second, God's mercy, we respond with trust. What do we do about it? Uh, Part of it that I really want to implore you to is tell people about it, right? People have all kinds of different images of who God is. uh, And often these images have nothing to do with the God that is revealed in Scripture. Uh, People have images of a God who is kind of arbitrarily throwing lightning bolts at people and just picking on people to strike down. Whereas in Jesus, a God is revealed who shows his mercy and his compassion and his love and is relentlessly running after us. So uh, you might be worried at this point because I'm only halfway through the outline, uh, but it's okay. Don't worry. Um, 
uh, God's great mercy shown not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, we respond with, what are the three words? Faith, belief, trust. All the same thing in the Bible. You know, in English, they can mean kind of different things, but they mostly mean the same thing in the New Testament. The third point is God's wisdom and glory. And for this, I really just want to read to you what Paul writes in Scripture. Like, I... I almost don't need to say more about it. But, but God, Paul, Paul is so astounded by how God has acted, and particularly by how God has revealed himself in Christ, that at the end of these three complicated chapters that everyone debates over, that often we think are about us, we try to use to figure out who's in, who's out, but really they're about God. This is what Paul writes. Romans chapter 11 Uh, starting in verse 33, if you're following along. Um, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Uh, Man, it's, uh, Paul isn't just writing a letter. He is writing a letter, but in the midst of it, we find here, Paul is worshiping. Uh, God is incredibly wise, incredibly great, incredibly glorious, and Paul is saying, I'm trying to explain all this stuff about the outworking of the gospel to you Romans, but at the end of the day, All that I have to say is that God is great and incredible, and I can't even explain the whole thing. Uh, We have to keep that in mind. There's a humility to this whole thing, Uh, right? To say, yeah, God is merciful, and I've responded in trust. Now I'm in. Now I've got it. Now I've got it all figured out, and my life is just going to line up in order for me. uh, God is so much bigger than that. Uh, In Isaiah, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And so, uh, there's not a lot of note-taking there uh, for that point. Uh, I'm sorry, there's another page in the notes here that seemed to have disappeared. Uh, but, But that is how Paul chooses to write this, that God is so much bigger than what we can understand. But in Jesus, God has revealed himself to us. The unknowable God has become known to us in Jesus Christ. And that is the picture of how we see who God is. Uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But when you come to Jesus... There is abundant life to be found, abundant life of knowing and trusting God. And so our response to God's greatness and wisdom and glory is worship. That's the last fill in the blank if you're super concerned about those, Um, is worship. That's, That's what we've been doing here this morning. That's why we, it's actually outside of the Christmas season, somewhat abnormal and Uh, 2018 in America, for people just to gather together and sing. 
Like in our society, that's not a thing that people do as much as they used to. But we continue to do that in church because we think it's worth the time to worship God. Uh, I want to just read to you a quote from the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation at the end of Scripture, uh, this is from chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, gives us an incredible picture of worship of God. Uh, John, the author of Revelation, uh, this is what he observes, that there's these creatures in day and night without ceasing they sing. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So God is great in mercy. This is the scripture that, the story that we see through all of Scripture. Again and again and again, when God's people have turned from him, he doesn't give up. He chases I don't know if you ever sing here that song, um, The Overwhelming, Never-Ending, Reckless Love of God, or if you've heard that song. Uh, That song is true. They didn't just make that stuff up. Like, they got it from here. Uh, People don't just make these words up. A a guy once told me, it's incredible how many Bible verses are based on worship songs. Um, God is great in mercy. He is chasing us down, and we respond by trusting in God. And then we see that in this whole story, God has revealed himself to us, but he is so great and glorious, and part of trusting in God is worshiping him. Even if we don't feel it in the moment, standing and choosing to sing and worship and worshiping with the whole of our lives is the right response to who God is and to what he has done. So I want to share uh, something with you to close. Uh, This is from the author Henry Nouwen. Uh, Henry Nouwen was a Dutch Catholic priest and just incredible uh, speaker and author. And uh, he tells this story about what trust in God looks like. And the story is actually about trusting God in death. But I think that the way that God calls us to live and to die is actually the same. That's a posture of trust toward him. So hear the story. He says, the flying Rodleys are trapeze artists who perform in the German circus Simeonette Barham. When the circus came to Freiburg two years ago, my friends Franz and Rainey invited me and my father to see the show. I will never forget how enraptured I became when I first saw the Rodleys move through the air, flying and catching as elegant dancers. The next day, I returned to the circus to see them again and introduced myself to them as one of their great fans. They invited me to attend their practice sessions. That's incredible. He just says hi to these acrobats, and they say, come to our practice. That doesn't happen to me. Um, (laughs) They invited me to attend their practice sessions, gave me free tickets, asked me to dinner, and suggested I travel with them for a week in the near future. Cool. I did, and we became good friends. One day I was sitting with Rodley, the leader of the troop, in his caravan, talking about flying. He said, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher, 
the public might think that I am the great star of the trapeze. But the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision and grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. How does it work? I asked. The secret, Rodley said, is that the flyer does nothing, and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron behind the catch bar. You do nothing? I said, surprised. Nothing, Rodley repeated. The worst thing the flyer can do is to try to catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grabbed Joe's wrists, I might break them, or he might break mine, and that would be the end for both of us. A flyer must fly, and a catcher must catch. And the flyer must trust, with outstretched arms, that his catcher will be there for him. When Rodley said this with so much conviction, the words of Jesus flashed through my mind. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Dying, and I'll add living, is trusting in the catcher. To care for the dying is to say, don't be afraid. Remember that you are the beloved child of God. He will be there when you make your long jump. Don't try to grab him. He will grab you. Just stretch out your arms and hands and trust, trust, trust. So we have an opportunity now uh, to worship together in response to who God is and to what God has done. So will you stand and join us in worship?